Hey, what's up? Welcome into the JCG Sports Podcast. I'm your host, JC Gonzalez, as always, back this week. Um, was out last week with appendicitis. Uh, didn't see that one coming like the day I was supposed to record. I was in the that night I was in the hospital, so um, and I've been recovering ever since. I'm I'm better now. Took the week off, got ready. Uh, can't wait for the show tonight. Absolutely stoked to talk. We're going to talk some NBA stuff. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of happenings later in the week, some big stuff from Woj. Of course, this is Super Bowl week, so that is one of the big things. I got my pick coming up at the end of the show in just about half an hour, a little bit over that. That's typically how long we like to go each week. Um, I'll, I'm going to get back into the Premier League. It's been a minute since I've gotten to talk about, you know, uh, soccer over in England, but it's been it's been a busy NFL season without wrapping, uh, wrapping up, you know, coming to an end. We can really get into it. Across the pond, I'm talking Mauricio Sarri, Chelsea, the transfer window wraps up yesterday. Um, great stuff on the show today, absolutely excited. Can't wait to jump right in. Let's do it. And I want to get started here talking about the Kristaps Porzingis trade from Dallas. This is a huge risk for the New York Knicks. Like this is the Knicks pushing all their chips into the middle of the table at the at the poker game in Vegas. Now why do I say that? Because the Knicks trade their best young asset, their only real sentiment of hope, like the only physical embodiment that they have that this team has a future, right? The only thing on this team that says, hey, we got something here. They ship him off to Dallas for cap space, basically. Dennis Smith Jr. is a good prospect who they should have drafted over Frank Nielakina. So they get a good prospect and cap space in return for their best young players, unprecedented in NBA history. We, like, multiple executives have said, we've never seen a trade quite like this. Um, to trade a young, known quantity, they'll trade picks a lot of the time to clear cap when, you, when you're when you one of the big markets and you have an idea that you could get guys. We've never seen a team trade an established young star pretty much just for cap space. And it's crazy that that's what they had to, you know, like that Chris Stapps is the bait that it took to dump, basically, Tim Hardaway Jr., and um, and yeah, the re- the rest of the Knicks bad contracts. That's it's crazy to me to think about that, but that's the reality for the Knicks. And this only works if they get KD and Kevin Durant, or you know, two max free agents this summer. That's the way this works. So theoretically, their next year the Knicks could be Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Zion Williamson, if everything goes right. Kevin Knox. That's if everything goes right. But we, we don't know if everything's going to go right. That could have several permutations. You know, it could be some combination of, you know, Kemba Walker and Jimmy Butler. And if it's Jimmy Butler as their headline guy, one of their two main headline guys, I don't think it was worth it. I think they should have kept Kristaps Porzingis. But if we're talking Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Kemba Walker, or even, you know, Kyrie Irving and Jimmy Butler, you know, as your, as your two that's a better team than what you had yesterday than last season. And a lot of people want to talk about this trade from it's mostly the Knicks perspective because the Mavs the Mavs look like a lot in a lot of ways the clear winners depending on what happens to Kristaps when he returns. Um, if Kristaps we've never seen a player quite like with the mobility for a 7-3 big man that we've seen with Kristaps Porzingis through the first few years of his career and that's why when he comes back to Dallas, there's serious concerns. Is he that same guy? And that's how we'll know who wins the trade. If Kristaps can't quite move the same, his game isn't the same, he's kind of, you know, kind of doesn't really pass that well. He seems like he'd fit in really well with Luka. And if he's back to himself, he will. 
But if he's not back to himself, then we don't really know. It's an unknown quantity we're dealing with in terms of the value of what the Knicks gave up to get the cap space, to get the stars they are confident of signing this offseason. It's a gamble, undoubtedly, for the New York Knicks. And for the Mavs, it's not really. That's why a lot of people like the Mavs side of the trade, and that's what we're going to get into next. You get someone to pair with Luka Doncic who really goes well with his skill set. Dennis Smith Jr. is a, a nice player. I wouldn't mind him at all on the Lakers, but he doesn't fit in very well with, um, with Luka Doncic. And to that end, he might not be the best fit with the Lakers, but I like his talent is what I'm trying to say. And they get rid of DeAndre Jordan, too, who's expiring. They get rid of Wes Matthews, who's expiring. The Mavs have some great young talent now, one of the best young cores in the league. Now, that doesn't always translate to success down the road. We've seen it happen. You know, Minnesota, for years, it felt like had the, the most talented young core in the league. That doesn't always mean success in the NBA, having a solid young core. And we don't know what Kristaps Porzingis is, like I just said. But if Kristaps Porzingis is, you know, 90% of what he was, and you get Luka Doncic ascending to, you know, MVP star level, like I really seriously have thought for a while that he could, then the Mavs could be a serious player moving forward for even, you know, future free agents moving down the line and to really contend at, like after Golden State. In the post-Golden State era, the Mavericks could be first, and that's the key. And that's why the Mavs, you know, are, they have the safest bet. They might not win the trade. If they don't lose it, they can't lose it. There's no situation in which they lose it because they didn't give up that much. The Knicks, on the other hand, they gave up a lot, so they can lose it. If they get nobody, they lose it, right? But the Mavs, they didn't give up that much, and they got something that could have been good, so they can't really lose it. They, they were trying to get rid of Dennis Smith anyway. This is by far the best deal they could have gotten for Dennis Smith Jr. And not to mention, they have a chance at keeping the pick they traded to the Hawks for Trey Young or for Luka Doncic, which... If that ends up happening, that is that's absolutely ridiculous. If they uh, get Luka Doncic and end up finishing in the top five, which are the protections, so they keep the pick, um, they absolutely fleece the Hawks. <laughs> um, but that's, that's my take on the Chris Dasporzingis trade. A huge gamble for the Knicks, a safe bet for the Mavs. Uh, I think both teams like their end of the deal. A lot of people are crushing the Knicks end. And I'm not going to crush the Knicks end until what happens this summer. I mean, if the Knicks... You know, kind of, you're not supposed to know, but if they know that they got, you know, someone coming, then yeah, yeah, do it. If you know Kevin Durant is going to be a New York Nick, you do what it takes to make Kevin Durant a New York Nick. And that's why I don't get people who lambast this trade from, from the Knicks side. They're like, oh, that's the one guy you would want people to play with. I mean, like, KD doesn't know what this dude is coming off that injury, coming off an ACL tear. It's a massive injury to come back off. Nobody knows what he is. Like, is it really that attractive to play with Kristaps Porzingis, who kind of plays, I'm not saying he's Kevin Durant, but they kind of occupy the same space in terms of, you know, they're, they're big guys who are floor spacers who like the ball in their hands. Like, are they really that different in terms of, you know, like player archetype? And that's why I, I, I can't crush the Knicks until I know what happens in July. That's my opening take on the KP trade over to Dallas from the New York Knicks. Uh, let's switch it on over to Anthony Davis staying within the NBA. Um, Anthony Davis wants out, and he, he cares about his legacy more than he does his money. And I haven't gotten to talk to you guys since the trade request, since it's come out that the Lakers are his preferred destination, and since it's come out that the Pelicans have been you know kind of rather petty and not really even wanted to give the Lakers a phone call, which that's uh, – and I'll start there. That's a seriously – that's a small market mentality, man. Like – 
come on. The dude signed with Clutch Sports, wants to go to the Lakers, play with LeBron, and you get all mad, and you're like, small teams matter. And they do. I'm not saying they don't. But, like, you knew this was coming. Come on. You, you had six years to put anything around him, and you couldn't. Now, I'm not saying they didn't try. They tried the DeMarcus Cousins thing. It didn't work. You know, they they drafted Buddy Heald, who ended up being good, but it, it didn't work. They got Drew Holiday. It didn't work. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I'm not saying New Orleans didn't try. I'm just saying they've had their chance to win with Anthony Davis, and they couldn't manage it. And so now here they are, and they get all petty, and they kind of get on this anti-Laker train that the media creates that, oh, the Lakers won't get anyone to play with LeBron. No one wants to play with LeBron. Um... We're going to wait and ship him somewhere else. We're going to shut him down for the season. We're not going to answer Rob Polinka's calls. Just the classic. Uh, there's an there's a anti-Lakers bias in a lot of ways in the media and in the NBA circles because people just, they don't like that the Lakers are the glamour franchise and they always have been in the NBA. And But at the end of the day, I, I think Anthony Davis to the Lakers should get done because the Pelicans are stupid to offer to reject the offer the Lakers will end up making because the Lakers will overpay. I'm not confident other teams will. Like the Lakers overvalue Anthony Davis right now because they're like, uh-oh, LeBron just got hurt. He's 35. We got to win this thing quicker than maybe we had anticipated because, you know, maybe the Lakers have been planning to win in year three. They might be thinking, uh-oh, we got to win in year two, which means get AD in now, get them playing together, sign somebody. 2020 season, let's go win this thing. And that might be what's in L.A.'s mind now, to get him in before the deadline. But at the end of the day, I think New Orleans wants to hold out for Boston. But I don't think Danny Ainge has fleeced several teams in trades. He has never, ever cashed in on this, the things he really cares about. If you've ever noticed that, you've ever noticed that? Whenever a big star demands a trade, everyone mentions the Celtics. You know, Kawhi Leonard got linked to the Celtics. Paul George got linked to the Celtics. Um feels like Anthony Davis now, everyone's saying the Celtics. But you ever notice Danny Ainge has never really cashed in? But, oh, Kyrie Irving. What did he give up for Kyrie Irving? The eighth overall pick, a broken point guard, and a guy who looks t- who can't play outside of uh, um, Brad Stevens' system? That's what he gave up. Like, Danny Ainge knew, oh, we're not giving up anything for this guy. That's not going to be the case with Anthony Davis. If the the Lakers come out and they can say, you can have everyone, which that's the offer right now. I think everyone not named Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart and a first-round pick, the Lakers say, take it. Yeah, for Anthony Davis. And then the the Celtics are not going to, they're not going to mess. They're not going to trade Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and a pick. Like, at the end of the day, everyone talks about the Celtics' assets, draft picks, all this. What do they really have? Like, are the, are the Pelicans really going to take Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier and Jalen Brown out of just spite because they're mad at the Lakers for signing him? Because like, especially considering he's made it known that he wants to be in L.A. and that everywhere else is a rental, potentially, which that's been said before. But when were the Celtics really going to cash in now? Like after all these chances they had to cash in on guys they were more confident would re-sign? now's the time they finally trade their really good assets? I seriously don't. I don't see it. I don't. And I also don't see why the Pelicans would hold out until the end of the season like they say they might to be petty and just wait for a better Celtics offer because they think the Celtics are going to give them the King's Ransom when they're they're not. That's just a fact. I I seriously doubt that the Celtics would give up a huge amount for Anthony Davis when they haven't, when they've shown a history. They are not going to cash in unless they know they're going to fleece you. 
and I don't think they can fleece New Orleans here. I mean, unless New Orleans is so stupid that they're willing to take Terry Rozier and Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown and, and some pick over the Lakers' young core because they're mad at the Lakers, which, you know, it's New Orleans, and they have a history about being petty when it comes to sporting things with Los Angeles. No, no shade thrown there. But uh, <laughs> if that's what ends up happening, then that's on the Pelicans. That's not on the Lakers. And they, if, they, if that's what they want to do, then that's what they want to do. But I think if they're smart, they get this thing done with. Because the, there's a precedent of teams who get it done with, they get it right. Okay? Uh, the Pacers, they got it done early. And they got it done right. You know, they got Victor Oladipo, Sabonis, and a good young core. They rebuilt their team into an Eastern Conference contender like that. And then there's teams that, you know, went the Cavs route. And then they you know, kind of waited on the Kyrie thing. They didn't do it, like, immediately when they had better offers, and then it it devolved until... And they, they still dealt him fairly early, and they thought they got a good package, but at the end of the day, not the case. But the teams that deal early are the ones that typically have success in the trade market. When, they, when a star wants out, you deal him quickly, because that's when you get the most. Like, let's go back to DeMarcus Cousins. Like, the Kings got so lucky, Buddy Heald ended up being good. I don't think the Kings know how lucky they are that Buddy Heald ended up being good because they could have gotten so much more for DeMarcus Cousins than what they actually received. Like, they looked like they got absolutely finessed, and then Buddy Heald ends up being a good player. And that, that's what how it worked out for them. And it fortunately, it kept them in the, you know, kept them relevant, I guess. If you consider the Kings relevant, I, they got a good young core. But the, the greater point is, is that New Orleans should get this done quickly, should not be petty, and should not wait for Boston because Boston is not going to give them what they think they are. And that's all I have to say on the Anthony Davis thing. I think he has every right to request a trade. He doesn't want to just sit on fat stacks and have zero rings. He doesn't want to be, you know, like that guy who, uh, oh, yeah, he's so great in the regular season and does all this. He, he doesn't want to be NBA TV guy. He wants to be, you know, ABC guy. He doesn't want to be on NBA Network. He wants the primetime playoffs, the finals, the Lakers, all of that. The glory of playing, you know, the the hype, the media attention of playing for Los Angeles is just different. And I respect a player that, even as a Lakers fan, you know, I respect a player not just for wanting to play for the Lakers, but for wanting to play in a basketball culture where it really matters. Like the Pelicans are a small market. They will love him no matter what happens because that's what they have to do. They have to cling on to him like the Cavs did. The Cavs had to love LeBron. They had to cling to LeBron. You can never demand more from LeBron when you're a, when you're a small market team. He can just leave you. L.A. can demand more from you. And I love that Anthony Davis is willing to put himself in a position where he's like, I can do more, right, than what I can do here. You guys had your chance. I can do more. That's my Anthony Davis take. And uh, with that, I want to switch over to the English Premier League transfer window roundup. Uh, Michi Batshuayi is the name, the big name of the window, and I'll get into Christian Pulisic, Miguel Almiron in a minute. But Michi Batshuayi makes the latest move. He's been kind of passed around Europe recently, you know, doing tours with Borussia Dortmund, where he had some success, and then Valencia, where he was terminated early on his loan. Uh, and I thought he was going to have to end up being at, at Chelsea, which would be awkward with Gonzalo Higuain's arrival. But he does end up going to Crystal Palace in a wild transfer saga that saw Everton in, Spurs in, West Brom in, or not West Brom, uh, West Ham in, just absolutely everyone. In for Michi Batshuayi's signature, but 
Uh, I think he can have an impact alongside Wilfred Zaha for Roy Hodgson's men. They're they're a good team in the Premier League. You know, they they have a knack for kind of upsetting and giving trouble to the big teams. You know, they beat City. They f- go 4-3 with Liverpool in a, in a great game. And I think he, he's got goals in him. And I think he's a good player. But um, I can I think he's a bit... Um, he's never really gotten the right situation. And maybe this can be, you know, in the same way for Zaha, Manchester United was never the right situation. Um, maybe this can be that for Michi Batshuayi alongside him. And moving on to Miguel Amiron leaves Atlanta United to Newcastle. And I think this is absolutely the right decision for Miguel Amiron um, as a player because there only come certain chances to make a move into the Premier League and to really ascend your career. And I feel like if he had been stuck at Atlanta because of the... Uh, because of Arthur Blank kind of haggling over the fee, I would have felt really bad for him because I feel I don't think he would have gotten that move again. You know, if that makes sense. I think if he had missed this opportunity to go back to Europe and play in the biggest league in the world, I just I don't think he would have been able to do it again. Even though I think he's a fantastic player. I re- this is a huge test for for Major League Soccer. Um can a Major League Soccer superstar. The dude was he lit the league up. But we know the defending in MLS is Kind of suspect. It's not exactly, you know, world-class stuff that we're seeing week in, week out from these guys in, in Major League Soccer. The Premier League is not like that. It is suffocating physical defense. It's not like the Premier League. Can Miguel, or not like the ML, not like MLS, can Miguel Almiron adjust and still be great and prove a testament to MLS's quality? Because most people, you know, you rate MLS, it's roughly the English championship, if that makes sense, Yeah. So if Miguel Almiron, and there's players who come up and have good success from the championship in the Premier League, but those leagues are more similar. If Miguel Almiron can come up from, the, from MLS, from Atlanta United, and truly have an impact this season and keep Newcastle United up and be one of their best playmakers, that is a huge monument, landmark for MLS. More guys, kind of like you know P.T. Martinez, Ezekiel Barco, are going to say, hey, wait a minute. I can come to MLS first and springboard a career into the Premier League, into the smaller sides in the Premier League, right? I, I can really play and really feel meaningful. You know, MLS feels meaningful in a way to these players, I, I feel like, because the crowds are big for the most part. You know, it's it's watched, it's cared about. It's not the biggest sport in this country, but I would way rather play in MLS than play in, like, you know, the like Swedish second division, you know? <laughs> like, like I just feel like MLS really has... It deserves to be more, and it's more world-recognized, more recognized, you know, playing in that league. And I think if it can, if Almiron can set a trend here and have success, then maybe we can see more guys willing to do that and raise the overall quality of MLS that much more. Maybe even get in some solid defenders. We'll see. I'm not sure. But that's it on, on Miguel Almiron. On Gonzalo Higuain, um, I've never been the biggest fan of the guy. He's a great goal scorer. He has a great number of goals scored, I should say. Um, but he's kind of lazy. He doesn't do a lot for the side. He looked absolutely, he just did not look ready in Chelsea's game against Bournemouth, which I'll get into more, trust me, in, in a lot of detail in a second, my next segment. But uh, I think Chelsea absolutely need a true number nine, and maybe Iguain could fill that role. He's not the one I would have chosen, but I definitely, uh, and I, I don't really care for Alvaro Morata either. Um, I just think that Chelsea are bending to Maurizio Sarri to kind of, you know, like, you had your guys. You know, Jorginho is his guy. Gonzalo Higuain is his guy. You know, they ha- they've they been said to have almost like a father-son relationship. And 
so that Chelsea can say that they backed him. Roman, Roman Abramovich in the summer can say, look, dude, we backed you. And if they fall out of the top four, I can easily see Chelsea have a history of sacking managers for less. There could be questions for Maurizio Sarri if this Gonzalo Wayne transfer doesn't work out the way they thought it would. And the other big transfer of the window, of course, also involving Chelsea, is with our American hero, Christian Pulisic, moves over from Borussia Dortmund finally to the Premier League. So I guess Chelsea are America's team, although he won't actually join Chelsea until the summer. It's just been agreed, and he's been loaned back to Dortmund. For the remainder of the season, they're in a Bundesliga title challenge. They're in the Champions League round of 16 against Tottenham. Good experience against an English side for him there, if he can feature. Um, for $70 million and... I think he's a talented player. I just hope that Chelsea is the place to get the best out of him. I didn't really want him to go to Liverpool because I, I never felt like he'd play. Um, Chelsea's a place where I can definitely see him playing. My only question mark about Chelsea is, will Maurizio Sarri be there? Maurizio Sarri, there's a report, didn't know that they had signed him. So there's a few issues regarding this Christian Pulisic to Chelsea storyline, and I'm just I'm a bit concerned that that he might not develop in the way we all want him to because we want him to be our first real American world-class superstar. Like, we've had Landon Donovan. We've had good players. If he is going to be our... If Pulisic will be our first transcendent star, this move has to be correct, and I hope Chelsea was the right one. But can you really say, when we don't know about Eden Hazard, we don't know about Willian, we don't know about Maurizio Sarri, so we don't know the Chelsea he's coming into. And... To be fair, like, it could be very different in the summer. Keep your eye on Christian Pulisic. Hope he finishes out the season very well with Borussia Dortmund as they continue in a few competitions. Uh, I'm going to stick to Chelsea now as I, uh, I'm going to talk about Maurizio Sarri. I was just mentioning Chelsea manager, much maligned Chelsea manager for his tactical rigidity, lack of willingness to make substitutions on the whole. Um uh, I personally, coming into the season, I liked Maurizio Sarri. I thought it was a good appointment by Chelsea if they weren't going to keep Antonio Conte. But my issue with Maurizio Sarri, uh, I've had issues with him stemming back to last season that are kind of starting to resurface now. So if you recall last season, he was with Napoli. And they had just been knocked out of the Champions League in a group with Manchester City and Shakhtar. And they had been drawn into the Europa League round of 16 against Red Bull Leipzig. At the time, they were first in the Serie A. And he made the decision to tank the Europa League to win the Serie A title. He threw. He played a B squad against Leipzig, was, were easily dispatched, and Napoli lost quickly, um, just absolutely gave up to try to win Serie A, and he couldn't manage it. He couldn't, you know, they choked. They, they blew it at the end of the season. And so from that moment, I was like, oh, I don't know about this guy. Like, I don't like it. If you're going to throw away a competition to focus on something else, like, that's something you say after you get knocked out after trying, like, well, at least now we get to focus on our domestic competition, right? At least now that's what we get to focus on, the league. You don't throw away the competition at hand so you get to say that. So I, I've always kind of had a philosophical issue with him there. But his football is good. I like his the attacking style. They've played some brilliant stuff while he was there, uh, just attacking, possession-minded. It's it's really pretty to watch when it works. Um, but it, it, I'm not sure how well it's adapting to the Premier League. And here's the thing with, with the Premier League and its managers. Styles can sometimes take time to adapt. You know, Jurgen Klopp's style took a, a year or two to adapt. Pep Guardiola finished fourth in his first Premier League season. And what did everybody say? It doesn't work in England. Well, it takes time to adapt. And so for Maurizio Sarri, 
I wouldn't be coming out and saying things like, I'm not sure I'm able to motivate the players. Because I think his system, to truly work in England, will take a couple seasons, take a couple transfer windows, if they're at Chelsea, are going to really be able to play the kind of stuff that he played over at Napoli. Because right now, it doesn't look like it. I mean, Jorginho is the main, he's the tempo setter in the middle, and he's, you know, often maligned because he's associated with Sarri, who is very tactic, does not want to bend his tactics to fit this Chelsea team. I think his tactics will work brilliantly with a future Chelsea team, but this one he has right here, right now, Sarri ball does not work. And here's why. Because Chelsea, this Chelsea team is built for Antonio Conte, right? This is a three-at-the-back Chelsea team. Cesar Azpilicueta is much better as a right center back than he is as a fullback, okay? Both of their fullbacks, or, uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, Marcus uh, Marcus Alonso is much better as a wingback, and they're better off using a true wingback uh, in a three-at-the-back system. And Golo Conte is not a, a box-to-box, you know, he's not, a, you know, like a floating attacking midfielder he is you know a holding midfielder who can win the ball and cover a ton of ground that's where you want to play him maybe alongside Jorginho in like a you know a 5-2 whatever moving forward Azard is a winger you know Eden Azard is a winger and he's figured that out recently when Azard said I don't want to play through the middle which he said under Conte as well because Chelsea have had striker issues forever but overall the point is that uh Sorry, doesn't put his players in a position to succeed this season. And if he wants to keep his job, he shouldn't be saying the things that he is in the press. But I genuinely think there is something to what he says because these Chelsea players in the past have had a reputation that they don't listen to managers. They don't. I mean, they they've, they wore out Mourinho. They wore out. Uh, they are hard to motivate. They you know they will go down in the dumps. It's the same group of players largely. Um, new faces who have been ingrained in this Chelsea culture of, oh, we can just get this guy out of here if we don't like what's happening, we don't like what he's doing. We can just pitch a fit, play badly, and Roman Abramovich will sack him. Maybe this is the time that Abramovich thinks differently and thinks, sorry, we'll need a year, need two years. And I don't really mean to defend him because they haven't been good. They just lost 4-0 to Bournemouth. That is an awful result for Chelsea under any circumstances. They should never be losing 4-0 to Bournemouth. And he said that as much in his interview, to be fair. And he kind of tried to take blame by saying, maybe it's my fault I can't motivate the players. But that's his job at the same time. You have to work with the group of players you are given. That's the majority of the, of the squad that you will, you know, that's, that's what you're working with. Anything else you bring in through transfer windows, that's just bonus to fit your system. Right now, you need to make this Chelsea team you know, make you, make your system fit for Chelsea, not make Chelsea like a square peg in a round hole. This team cannot play Sarri ball. So the test of with whether or not Maurizio Sarri will keep his job is, is he willing to adjust? Which I would guess no. So I think Maurizio Sarri will be out in the summer. That's my prediction. I think he'll be, he'll be sacked. And the reason for why he'll get the ax is because he wasn't, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of twofold. He wasn't uh, flexible enough to shift Chelsea into what they do best and he didn't get the time to implement what he does best. And those are why I think Maurizio Sarri will be out at Chelsea at the end of the season. Last but not least, I, I teased it at the beginning of the show. Uh, I went to Super Bowl media days as we switch over to the National Football League, head back across the pond. Um, it was an excellent... Uh, I got an opportunity to you know sit in on a Sean McVay press conference, talk to Jared Goff in a press conference, uh, Talked to Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue, Robert Woods, uh, a couple other guys. Um, it was excellent. It was awesome. Got some great stuff from them. But 
now's the time for my much my long awaited my Super Bowl prediction. Uh, the Patriots are favored. Most of the money in Vegas is on the Patriots. Minus three is what they're at right now. Almost all of the sharps are on New England. It's the smart bet. And without further ado, I'm going to tell you what I think, what I would do. Um, I think the Patriots will win the Super Bowl. And I know I picked against the Rams before and didn't go well. And then I picked them in New Orleans and they won. Um, I will pick against them here. And here's the reason why. The experience gap here is for real. That is a thing. That's a, it's a real problem. But I'll pick the Patriots, but I'll say there's definitely a path in which the Rams win the Super Bowl. There is a, there's a scenario in which the Rams win, and it's plausible. Okay, I like their chances of winning this game more than I did of them winning the Dallas game because I just did not feel good heading into that one. Here's why I feel good about the Rams winning this game, or can win this game. I still think the Patriots will, and that's my prediction that the Patriots will. I think the Rams have a chance to win this game because of the fact that they um, you know, have the coach and they have the quarterback of the future who proved that they are ready for the big moment last week in New Orleans. Sean McVay and Jared Goff proved they can step up and win games that others would not have. And I think if they can do that again, replicate it, and if the defense can make plays on Tom Brady, especially in the pass rush, hasn't been sacked all postseason, that this defensive line can have a serious impact we get Todd Gurley going back to where he normally is. The Rams have a serious chance at making noise in Atlanta and bringing home the Lombardi to Southern California. Now, I think the Patriots should win because, you know, they have the experience. They got Belichick, Brady, the greatest duo in history. Uh, they're a very cerebral organization. They pride themselves on outsmarting you, and they've had an extra week. That's why they're so good in these big games against, you know, other great opposition. These are two great teams that we're, we're seeing go head-to-head. And at the end of the day... I think the Patriots will win. I'm going to go with the final score of 28-24. Now, one last you know tidbit I want to throw in there about if the Rams can win this game, what it means. It would be a massive win for Southern California. I talked to Justin Davis about this, he's a USC guy, and Robert Woods as well. Uh, L.A. for years has been this Laker-Dodger town. Uh, USC football kind of pushed away the NFL in that 21-year absence that they were gone and the reason for that is just that culturally speaking, you know, it was like, we don't need you. You know, you left. The Raiders and the Rams were gone. And they had other thing, other sports filled the void. And those teams were winners. And they captured the Hearts Valley. You know, the Kings get two Stanley Cups while we're gone. You know, the Lakers win all these championships. The Dodgers are great. They don't win, but they're great. The Angels win a championship. The Ducks win a championship. There's a lot going on without the NFL. USC has a dynasty. You know, so the NFL doesn't really have a place in a crowded L.A. market. Um... And then, you know, Galaxy are great, LAFC. But what the the thing about this Rams team is, is that they have the chance to establish themselves as really a part of L.A. Because there's still, you know, the Charger games still get taken over by other fans. Uh, the Rams-Cowboys was still majority Cowboys. This is a real chance for the Rams to capture the next generation of fans in L.A. And really make it a Rams town. Make Los Angeles the Rams house for real. A huge opportunity on Sunday. We'll see if it happens, but that's, that wraps up the show today. Thank you guys so much for listening to the J.C. Gonzalez Sports Podcast. I'm your host, and I'll see you next week.